Ade, due, dambala. Give me the power, I beg of you, to keep this podcast at a reasonable length. Welcome to the Blay Blunt Cinema Club. It is episode four. It is your boy Devon Taylor here, and I am very excited for this episode, guys. We're chilling. We're vibing out. I'm recording a little bit later than usual, well, a day later than usual, but that's okay because I don't have many fans that'll notice yet. It's all good in the hood around here. Um, we are talking about, uh, today is the first episode a of a three-parter because we are breaking up the Child's Play franchise into three parts, um, so that way we can, you know, dig in a little bit, but I also didn't want to do seven episodes. Like, I'm not, when I do franchises, I don't think I'm going to dedicate, like, you know, a full episode to each entry, unless it's, like, only a trilogy or something like that. But there's seven movies here, so I had to break it up into three. Um, All good, though. It's going to be a lot of fun. This is one of my favorite slasher franchises for a lot of reasons. We'll get into that more here in a bit, but it's also a perfect franchise to get into for Pride Month as the creator, Don Mancini, is a gay man himself. So um, it is a great time to talk about these movies. It's one of my favorite franchises to talk about. We got a lot to talk about before we get into it, guys. Let's go ahead and light up real quick. Yeah, so we went with the shorter intro there, see um, what people like better. Apparently, people don't like long intros. But, you know, like I said, I I just kind of need that little uh, last minute uh, time to just like kind of pause for a sec, make sure I got everything going. You know, I got to make sure I got all my snacks, which I do. I got my snacks. I got my tea. I got my water. I mean, I wish you guys could see the whole spread here. Um, speaking of which, uh, speaking of seeing, you guys will finally get video for this episode. Yes, 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 yes. Video podcast episodes are happening now. It took me a minute to, um, get all my shit together on how I wanted to record the videos. And then, um, I was recording it. I tried using my photographer camera and that didn't work out. I tried using my cell phone camera that didn't work out. So I went ahead and bought another camera, which I mean, I was going to need another camera to do more video type stuff like this anyways. Um, so yeah, I got a real good deal on one. So we will have video. What is up everybody? So those of you watching the video, um, how's it going? You guys get to see the bonuses such as, uh, you know, I mean, my background is simple. I'm, I'm keeping the production value pretty low for now. Uh, I'm in a, a small space. So, you know, so I keep the background simple, but what I do got here, I will, uh, insert a video or picture so you can see it zoomed in this piece of artwork 
that I got from uh, one of my good friends, Kat. Uh, she goes by Cat Calico on Instagram. She is a wonderful um, special effects and makeup artist and just all around artist as well. She does paintings and uh, she sculpts and does all sorts of things. So she made these. Um, like I said, I'll zoom in on a separate video or picture so you can see. But this is Jesus Garf is what I'm calling him. Um, it is a crucifix of um, a Garfield head on a human body on the cross. Um, and mine is blood red for bloody blunts, of course. Um, it's just so strange. I love it. Um, one of my favorite subreddits, which I'm not a big redditor anymore, but one of my favorite subreddits is I'm sorry, John. And it's an entire subreddit dedicated to make artwork that makes Garfield into monsters, like usually of a Lovecraftian variety. Because that's like the new internet meme theory is Garfield is an evil being from another dimension. And um, so I love uh, weird Garfield artwork and it's fantastic. I thought it was the perfect uh, first addition to the Bloody Blunt set. Like I said, um, I'm going to figure out set things a little bit more in the future. Um, so it's whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I absolutely love that. So shout out to Cat Calico. Um, the proceeds of these crosses went to help her poor puppers. So I had to buy one, of course. Um, so yeah, if you, uh, check her out on Instagram, she does, uh, paintings and sculptures and all sorts of stuff that you can hire her for. So, uh, shout out to Cat Calico one more time. Also that you can see in the video, shout out to, uh, my boy Tabby, um, for this shirt. Um, this is his um, clothing line, Orange. Tabby is a uh, former YouTuber turned rapper turned uh, clothing designer. Wickedly talented dude all around. Um, so I had to, um, I have a few of his shirts. So I cop that. You can't really see it in this uh, video currently. Um, I need to figure out because I, I want to make it bigger, but I also don't want to be too far away. You know, it's, it's things we're going to figure out in time, guys. Um, I mean, in the back of the shirt too. Let me try to whip around real quick. Yeah, whip around real quick. For those of you just listening to the audio, I hope this is fantastic. Um, yeah, just go ahead and uh, go on YouTube. And now you can watch episodes of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. Um, they will come out probably, I think it's, I'm shooting for Thursdays is uh, when I'm shooting for the video because the audio of the podcast will be up on Tuesdays. I'm trying to get the video up on Thursdays. So yeah, so I'm super excited about that. So I got the shout outs out the way. We um we we got the shout outs, got the video info now. Just trying to cuz you know, we're going to dive straight into the movies cuz we got 3 of them to talk about today. We got 3 of them and I'm trying to keep these podcast episodes at a reasonable length. Um you know, just for me personally, I don't like 90 minute episodes, but yet two out of the three episodes have been 90 plus minutes already. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to set that precedence right out the gate. You know, I'm not, I'm not that big of a podcaster yet to where I can do 90 minute, 120 minute episodes and you guys are going to listen to the whole thing. I don't even want to look at my analytics right now to see how long people are actually listening to these episodes right now. So we're trying to keep it at a reasonable length. Um, oh, I did have just one, a uh, uh, couple other things before getting into the actual movies. We're breaking down Child's Play 1 through 3 today, and then part 2 
will be Bride and Seed of Chucky with some special guests. So those two movies get their own episode. And then episode three will be Curse and Cult of Chucky. We will talk a little bit about the Child's Play 2019 remake. We'll talk just a smidge about it. And then, um, and hopefully, maybe by next week, we might have uh, some more Chucky the TV series information. Um, so in episode three, we'll also talk about uh, whatever information I can find about the upcoming Chucky TV series. So that's the way we're doing these episodes um, before we uh, get more into the franchise. I had an epiphany this morning while, uh, before I started recording this. And it's and it's stuff that I was talking about in last episode. Um, I was talking about you know like genre policing, genre gatekeeping, whatever you want to call it, and you know, and I I've been trying to figure out like what more of this podcast, like what is this podcast besides me getting stoned and talking about horror movies? Because it it is more than that. Um, you know, yes, like I said, I want to bring cannabis culture into, um, into this podcast and this, in the horror community. But then I guess what I've realized is that I am, I'm passionate about genre, about, you know, you know, like the defining the horror genre, what is or isn't horror. And like I mentioned in last episode, I'm, I'm not a gatekeeper as in, like, you know, oh, that's not a horror movie. Like, because I'm the opposite. I'm that guy that I want, like, if it's any inkling of horror-inspired, I'm going to bring it on. Because that's... So, I guess this podcast for me is analyzing the genre and trying to expand upon it, I guess. Um, uh, expand upon what truly is considered horror or not. So, I don't know. Um, that's, I think just a, a further um, explanation as to what I want to get out of this podcast, you know, especially for that Parasite episode, I thought was a very interesting one. Uh, what brought this epiphany up was this morning I was watching uh, some videos on YouTube. And I was watching a uh, commentary track for us. And I won't say who the YouTuber is. I don't want to call them out or anything. I'm not trying to. I love this person in their content, but it was funny. And this person that was doing this commentary, um, they, they have watched horror movies on their channel, but I wouldn't say that they are big horror movie fans or anything, but they were talking about us and then talk about other movies. And they said, this movie isn't, they said us, the lighthouse and midsummer aren't actual horror movies. They said, oh, or they said, they're like, oh, they're not really horror movies. They're more like, they're, they're really creepy movies that give you nightmares, but like, but, but they're not jump scary. Like, so it's not, maybe not really horror. And that just made, that makes no sense to me. Cause like I said in the last episode, which you should listen, if you have not listened to the Parasite episode, it was a really good one. Um, but like I said, if if it's something that is generating fear or made to give you nightmares, how is that not a horror movie? Like, I just don't get why there needs to be this distinction between horror movies and thrillers or blah, blah, blah. Like, because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love exploring subgenres within horror and we are going to do that. But it's not about trying to find, 
trying to make a movie not a horror movie. I'm trying to show you movies. I mean, we're going to obviously cover a lot of, you know, the traditional horror movies, but there's going to be movies in the future that, you know, I guess straddle that line. And I'm trying to make cases for those type of movies as to why um, they should be embraced within the horror community as well. Um, That is not the case with these movies. I'd say the Child's Play franchise is definitely firmly in the horror category. It is a slasher franchise. Um, But so, yeah. So thank you for listening to another little side ramble rant. Um, I just had to get off my chest, but like I said, I think that's more of what you're going to get going forward in some of these podcast episodes. So like probably the first episode after we finish the Child's Play franchise, which I haven't decided on yet, um, will probably be one of those movies that's like, I actually do think I know what movie I'm going to go with. It's going to literally just be a total palate cleanser from what we uh, we'll be talking about from Child's Play and then going into this movie. I think I know what movie. And it's a movie that, again, just like Parasite can be um, argued. A lot of people argued at the time were, is this a horror movie? Is this not? So, yeah, I just wanted to share my epiphany and, you know, because I do think it's um, something that's going to be important going forward in the podcast. So, I don't know. I just felt like I need to share that real quick before we got into it. Um, and that tangent wasn't even that long. So, we're still good we are rolling so let's go ahead and get into the child's play franchise willem dafoe thank you willem um i I love that clip i was originally gonna put that clip into the theme music somehow i didn't want to I didn't want it to be like a thing, like a copyright thing or whatever. I don't know the rules of sampling. And I mean, I'm still using it in this, but I'm playing a little bit out of context. I guess that'll save me from trouble. But I love that clip, though. So the Child's Play franchise. Um, what? Why do I love this franchise so much? So the first Child's Play came out in 1988. And what I think is really cool about this franchise is... One, it is one of the few horror films or few horror franchises that is still in its original continuity as far as the like bigger names go, you know, because I mean, A Nightmare on Elm Street, I guess, is still technically in a single continuity, but it follows different sets of characters. There's not much carryover. I mean, they'll usually... There'll be a survivor or two from one movie that might carry over into the next one, but then they get like killed off pretty early in the next one. There's not a lot of arcs that like span across the franchise. Same for um, Halloween, which is a fucking mess, uh, that timeline, because they're like, this one counts, these ones are connected, but these ones aren't, and then fucking they came out with a third movie titled Halloween. It's Halloween's a mess. Friday 13th, I think, I mean, I, I just don't watch Friday 13th movies as much, but it does, it does have carryover uh, characters like Tommy Jarvis and um, some other characters do carry over between film to film. But Child's Play, this franchise, the Chucky franchise, because um, I guess it's now the Chucky franchise because with the 2019 remake being Child's Play because the name belongs to whichever company it is, I think it's MGM. And then now it's the Chucky franchise. 
and so it's been able to keep in this continuity the first three movies focus on you know Andy Barkley as the protagonist and it's really a character film about you know the first three films focus on childhood trauma and what that does to someone and how it affects them growing up and then the second two movies Bride and Seed get kind of weird and wonky because I don't know I think it was made to kind of be a refresher but at the same time it was still all the past events that happened now um but it didn't have Andy Barkley in it and it um you know and then the second Seed of Chucky follows Jennifer Tilly but then the third part that we'll get into is you know Curse of Chucky kind of brings everything back around brings in a new protagonist but then Curse of Chucky brings Andy Barkley back in and then the series I'm assuming is going to follow you know these principal characters as well so I like the way that over time it's been able to keep within itself but then within each of these little chunks it's in a different time period you know uh like in real life not within the story uh because you know the first three came out in the late 80s early 90s they came out in 1988 1990 1991 and then the uh and then we had like a seven-year break so then the second chunk are late 90s early 2000s horror aesthetics big time especially with uh bride of chucky I mean, I thought that movie did come out like in the early 2000s because Bride of Chucky is like a template for early 2000s horror, which was just. Whew. And then the next um, set of movies come out in the 2010s. So you have each chunk of the franchises in these different eras of horror going on, and it reflects in the films, you know, in the style of the films, the presentation um the tone as well it's it's very much reflective of that of each era that it's representing so it's really cool that the way that it's been able to stay consistent but then also evolve and stay fresh don mancini um has been the writer of all seven films um which is very rare so he's been able to write all seven films um not always by himself or not always what he wanted but um, he has been the writer and he is the creator. And then he took over directing duties um, with Seed of Chucky. And then he has directed Seed, Curse, and Colt. And I don't, I'm assuming he'll be directing or show running, hopefully. So uh, Don Mancini has been able to keep a, a creative consistency over um, how fucking long has it been? 30, 32 years? over a 32-year span, um, keeping this creative consistency, and also evolving himself as a creator as he took over the directing reins. Seed of Chucky was not a great directorial debut, but he got better. Um, with Curse and Cult of Chucky, he got infinitely better in his directing, so it's been really cool to see the franchise evolve, uh, to see Don Mancini evolve, and um and the characters, with and Chucky, Chucky himself, and, um, you know, Andy Barkley, and then um, Nika later on, you know, the way we see all these different characters evolve. So Child's Play franchise deserves a lot more credit. So that's why we're talking about this uh, franchise. So first up, Child's Play, but real quick. <laughs> see, I got I guys going. No, no, come here, Harley. I was going to show you off to the camera. Come here, bud. You want a treat? I forgot whenever I said that. 
we got videos going. Hey, come over here. Look what I got. Um, I forgot that when I said there was going to be videos that I have Harley over here. Come here, bud. Want some? Look, look what I got. Look what I got. Ah, literally right as I said something, he decided to get up. Oh, no. No, stay in here. He's my, you know, it gets lonely in here while I'm recording, so I like having Harley in here. Um, you know, as my, as my little buddy, Harley, look what I got. There he is. Now he's coming. He's, he's getting restless already. Oh, sorry, bud. Um, back. (laughs) I was going to show, I was going to show him off, but he's being a little punk. I'll show him off a little later. So the way that we're going to, uh, just run these down is because I'm not going to sit here and recap every single movie as we go. I mean, I'll give you the quick recaps. We're not going to actually recap them. I'm going to give you the quick recaps. And then what I did was, um, for each one, I picked my six favorite things about that film. Um, or six, six main topics to talk about with those films. So that way I limit myself. Each movie gets an equal amount of shine, which that's a lie because child's play, uh, spoiler alert already child's play three is kind of lame. And I really, really like child's play two. So it's actually not going to be an even distribution here, but, um, but yeah, six things, six topics for each film to talk about and, uh, just some overall things that I really like. I already gave you some good background about it. Um, so a little bit more background. Don Mancini did have uh, different drafts of the script that uh, varied in the tone. Some of them were a little bit more comedy. Some of them had more graphic kills. Um, uh, but there were also significant changes to Andy as a character. Um, initially, in one of um, the other scripts titled Bloody Blunts... <laughs> It's actually not called Bloody Blunts. It's called, it was called Bloody Buddy, but that's really funny. Maybe that's what you guys will be called. You guys will be called my Bloody Buddies, huh? Is that what, do you, do you, is that your, I don't know. I feel like the fan base should name themselves, but I'll throw that out as a uh, suggestion. But um, that one had um, focused a little bit more on the mystery that Child's Play 1 focuses on that if, Aunt, like, this little kid Andy is killing people or if it is actually the doll. In uh, one of the original drafts for the screenplay, it uh, focused a little bit more on that mystery and made you kind of, and it kind of leaned a little bit more like, oh, is Andy like a little crazy? Kind of made him a little bit less sympathetic. But I think whenever they eventually made the movie, making Andy so young in this first one is what changed that to where it's like, okay, like, yeah, we're going to make. We're going to have a little suspicion, but like, okay, how much suspicion can you put on a six-year-old kid for, you know, multiple murders? And then I think, um, and then Don Mancini tweeted not too long ago, he like did a watch along and, uh, he had another, uh, draft of the script that was titled batteries not included. I think that that should have been, um, I think that's a better franchise name than child's play. Uh, child's play is, I don't know. It just. It's not very sexy. It it rolls off kind of funny. <laughs> but so so the the first child's play, you have um Andy lives with his mom. Um he's super young. Um she is widowed, the dad is not around. And um the first thing that makes the first child's play movie interesting out the gate and why it's so classic iconic, um, is introducing this premise. We didn't really have a premise like this. You know, this is before the puppet master movies would come around 
and um, the Demonic Toys series, you know, all these stemmed from child's play. So this premise of this killer toy terrorizing a child was was new. We didn't have a lot of horror movies where the protagonists were so young. I mean, like, not saying that kids have never been the protagonists of horror movies, but just in the way that the 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 first three child's play movies are Andy's movies. These are about Andy, and it's about, you know, and this premise of uh, a child toy being possessed and killing and doing these things, you know, it, it's a symbol of, you know, childhood trauma, you know, taking something innocent and then making it, you know, do all these crazy things is a, is a symbol of childhood trauma that Andy is obviously going, uh, going through, not only in the form of him, you know, dealing with this killer doll who's going to eventually drive his mother crazy and cause problems for him all through his life growing up. But, you know, it's also just, it's a, it's elevating the horror that he's already living of this kid and his mom trying to grow up, you know, by themselves, you know, without a dad. So I don't know if that was the connection that Don Mancini was trying to make that he wanted it to be, you know, Chucky being the symbol of Andy's lack of a father figure, you know, but the, the premise itself of, uh, this doll coming to life, being possessed by a serial killer was, um, was just, it was, it was new and it was unheard of and it was pretty crazy at the time. Um, like I said, next, another topic that I would love to talk about is, uh, Alex Vincent who portrays Andy in the first two films of, um, the, of the Child's Play franchise. You know, the first movie is a combination, you know, of it's, or I mean, both, both his performances in Child's Play 1 and 2 are a combination of just a cute kid being a cute kid, but then also, you know, him acting. You know, the first one here, he's only six. How many acting choices is he really making? He's not, but he does have this, like, you know, this, he, he does have a, an on-screen presence as a little kid. You know, he's not just there being a kid showing up. He showed up and he is grabbing you and making you watch the film. And he's just a, I mean, this kid is so fucking adorable. Like in the first one, like he's stuttering his lines and like, I mean, just like, and that's when you're like, oh yeah, he's totally not acting there. That's just a little kid being a little kid. And uh, he does, but he does a really great job though. You know, this movie would sink if Alex Vincent as a small child wasn't actually acting to some degree. Um, you know, kid actors can be the death of a movie sometimes. And luckily that was not the case here. And, you know, I'm not going to also get into too much depth with Child Play 1 because what hasn't, um, what hasn't been talked about this movie, it's very iconic for a reason, you know, um, we do at the beginning, uh, get the setup, we see Charles Lee Ray, he is, uh, doing some crime, he ducks in this Toy Story, he's in a chase shootout with a cop, and he gets shot, and before he dies, um, he transfers his soul into a doll doing some voodoo ritual, uh, voodoo chant ritual. Now, for the first three films, the lore is pretty simple in that he can transfer his soul right before he dies 
like because his body is dying but not his soul transfer his soul into the plastic doll and then he can transfer his soul from the doll back into a human body but it has to be the human body of the first person he told his name to that he was actually Charles Lee Ray so um, Andy he wants a good guy doll so so bad and um, his mother is going to get him this good guy doll uh, what is his mother's name Catherine right Karen Barkley oh Catherine Hicks Karen his his mom um, she's gonna get him a good guy doll and it ends up being this good guy doll that Charles Lee Ray transferred himself into so that's the basic premise of the films you know Charles Lee Ray he's trying to so he initially he doesn't know this he finds this out when he goes to see his voodoo pal he says I transferred my body the guy said that's some fucked up voodoo man and he says yeah I know but how do I do it so that's how he figures out that so that's why the first three films is him so adamantly chasing after Andy but then we'll find out later there's other body switching shenanigans lots of body switching shenanigans in the future of this franchise coming up but that's but so it was very simple for this one I don't know if a franchise was in their mind when they were writing and producing these films or at least the first one I don't know if it was planned to just be a one-off or if they had in mind that it was going to be a franchise I think it they did plan for it to be a franchise because they greenlit the sequel like right as the first one was released first one was a box office hit making 44.2 million on a nine million dollar budget so it was a hit. So as soon as it was released, it got greenlit. But at the time of writing, I don't, I'd have to assume that this was supposed to be just a one-off. But I'm not exactly sure. And, you know, so... And then the first half of the film is more of a... You know, because we don't... Or, I mean, Chucky doesn't reveal himself to the main characters until, you know, about 45 minutes into the movie. Um, for a little bit, we, we know a little bit more than they do. And then that's why the first half of the film is this, is Andy killing, did Andy kill the neighbor or did, or did kill her doll or is everybody crazy and kind of sets up that dynamic. And then the second half of the movie, when he does reveal himself, um, and the, the way that it's revealed is so, I mean, everyone knows the shot. It's where Karen is, um, you know, she told Andy that, you know, Chucky's not alive, blah, blah, blah. And she's looking at the, she looks at the box and she's looking at a good guy. And then, or no, she picks up the box and then she picks up the box and the batteries fall out. And it's like, ooh, that's like, that's some good fucking writing right there. It's a, it's a, it's just a slick little scene. And it does hit with that little, the signature, uh, Chucky sound it um it's like a sound it sounds like if you like hit like a, a spring but like a really thick spring it's like Doom. uh i can't really describe the sound but maybe I'll, I'll i'll get a sample of it maybe at some point but um it's it's just a cool scene and then um you know we get uh, we get a few kills uh here or there by chucky but chucky really hasn't gotten creative into his kills yet we'll figure out later that that's you know kind of a uh character trait of Chucky is that he's not only a killer not only does he love killing but he loves to um he's a he's a he's an artist you know he wants to 
he wants to make it look good and do it in creative ways and come up with good one-liners. But we hadn't had that yet because in this movie, Chucky's character is not really at the forefront. And this happens with a lot of horror movies. You know, a lot of horror movies, the first one, the killer is one thing. I mean, specifically like Freddy Krueger is an example of this. As you know, Freddy Krueger is not around in the first Nightmare on Elm Street all that much. And when he is, he doesn't, I mean, he has some lines, but he's not quipping yet. He's like not quipping. He's not um, given his best three minutes at the comedy store yet. He he just has he has some like creepy lines, but then over time, as Freddy became the face of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, this is when his character and personality start coming out more, and that's going to happen with Child's Play. You know, one for merchandising purposes, obviously, but then because Brad Dorf's performance is so fucking good, I'm going to talk about Brad Dorf's performance a lot. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more um, with Child's Play too. Um, but yeah, so eventually Chucky is going to bre- become more of the forefront. But here in this movie, he's not yet. It's just all about the mystery, the story. It's this little kid now having to fight for his life after his mom goes crazy and everything. So the the third act of the film is great because it's a fucking little kid facing off against, you know, a, a possessed killer doll who it's like obviously dangerous but still a formidable foe because like I mean Chucky's like literally the size of Andy in this movie like that's one thing that is uh I mean I guess is you know they needed to make the good guy dolls like ridiculously big so that way people can buy buy that you know a doll is able to do some of the things it can physically and as well because that's gonna be a cheat later whenever they need to film scenes of a little person in a Chucky suit they don't do that too often but they do it occasionally so the good guy dolls are really big that's all I'm getting at here but yeah and Andy faces off with them and it's also like where we establish the trope that it's hard to kill Chucky like he comes back you you destroy it you shoot him this way Uh, you're supposed to apparently if you destroy it you shoot him in the heart that's supposed to do it which does but we're gonna figure out obviously that's not the case Um, because it's just like, apparently you have to literally just like, you'd have to eviscerate him and then, but you have to clean up the blood because the blood is the thing. Like that's how Chucky, how we're going to see in eventually movies, how Chucky keeps coming back. But yeah, so the third, in the third act, you know, they're trying to kill him a bunch of times. The third act is also fun because we get a lot of homages to, um, classic horror films such as Halloween and The Shining, um, the melted shot, the shot of Chucky with the melted plastic is, um, another very iconic shot. And that was a- another one of like, just like the key points I wanted to talk about the child's play franchise, like so many iconic shots, the batteries falling out, um, him melted like the Terminator, um, the like very first time we see Chucky walk because the animatronics of the puppet like really add to, the weird vibe that he has when he walks. So, why hello there? Oh, you hear that? We had to. Um, I had to make a brief cut. We had to take a pause during recording. Uh, Harley was being very ruly. He wanted to. 
he was being antsy and stuff. So I had to go take him out and then feed him food. And now so the video people can see him and you can hear his ASMR. Hardly say hi to the people. Oh, now you get quiet. (laughs) Of course. But uh, this is the sweet baby boy right here. So let's hop back into it. Well, I mean, the episode's just going to keep going. But for me, I'm hopping back into it. And I was finishing up talking about uh, Child's Play 1, just some of the iconic shots. Um, I remember I was talking about uh, the walk of the animatronics adding to some of the weirdness of Chucky, shit like that. Um, I already touched on drawing the mystery out um, because, like I said, I think you know, until the movie was released, I'm pre- I would assume that the movie was just uh, conceived as a one-off. So the fact that, you know, we really don't see, um, you know, that Chucky doesn't reveal himself to the characters until later, and they really um, lean into this drawing the mystery part out, which again was a bigger part of previous screenplays. And then I already talked about iconic shots, premise the animatronics uh and the doll obviously uh like i said the way you walked uh kind of added to things but then um a cool thing that the first movie did and the second movie and third do it a smidge but not the general progression that the first does but in the first movie they had multiple i think they had like it was either six or eight different versions of chuck of the chucky doll as the good guy doll becomes more human and morphing into Charles Lee Ray because that's part of why he's trying to switch his body back because if he stays in the doll too long he becomes you know part of like the doll is living now so that's why he bleeds and he gets cut and things like that and he has organs and shit like that and later on I guess that wouldn't be as important because it seems like in two and three, he's already like just this already like living doll that bleeds and shit. So um, I don't know what changed in those movies going forward, but it was just a cool thing that they had um, these different stages of Chucky to like show him progressively becoming uh, the doll more human like. Um, and I wish they would have kept that uh, going in um, in some of the other films. But, but yeah, so just wanted to throw that out there. Um, but yeah, but that's about uh, the most that I had to say about uh, Child's Play 1 because what hasn't been said already, um, you know, it's a classic for a reason. And this is typically people's favorite. Some, uh, not in all cases, but I'd say this is uh, the one that sticks out to everybody. You know, that you know, a lot of people don't know that the franchise is still going or they didn't know. You know, people uh, knew about, like, Bride and Sea of Chucky. Those got pretty popular. But a lot of people are like, oh, I saw the first one and then didn't watch any of the other ones. And I know behind Bride of Chucky, I've seen the original one uh, more often. You know, like, I've seen I've seen Bride of Chucky more than any of them. But I've seen this one uh, quite often and doing the refresher. And, I mean, it just holds up. But, however, so now we're going to go into Child's Play 2, which I had only seen like one time whenever I was much younger. And, you know, I was uh, uh, on this rewatch, like, I mean, it's been at least 15 years, rewatching Child's Play 2. This thing is really fucking good. I, it's better than the second, or it's better than the first one. 
we will see on my rewatch later because I also love Curse of Chucky. So I don't know which one is my favorite between Curse and Child's Play 2. But man, Child's Play 2 is really, really, really good. It was greenlit literally um, like right after Child's Play was released because it was a financial success and it was released exactly two years later after the first Child's Play. Um, and then, I mean, just like there were, it, it is one of those sequels that it improved everything from the first one without getting too big and crazy. Because that's a thing that happens with sequels is, you know, you want to go bigger, you want to get crazier, you want to, you know, improve the things that worked well take out the things that didn't work and you know that's the the formula to a good sequel and child's play 2 does it really well um you know they they go bigger they in, they expand the lore a little bit of charles lee ray they give uh brad dorif and chucky uh more of a performance to work with uh alex vincent is a little bit older still a young kid but he's actually acting now like he's got some acting to do in this one um, Child's Play 2 has some very important themes in it, like I said, as far as um, advancing the themes of childhood trauma. Like that's Child Play 2, that's what this whole thing is about. Um, about this trauma and the effects of the first one, the effects that's having on Andy now, and the effects that he's going to have on him for the rest of his life. Like Child's Play 2, just it does so much. But like I said, it doesn't get too crazy. It doesn't increase the gore and the kills, but it doesn't get too crazy. Um, and then it has one of the best finales of any slasher movie taking place in the uh, Good Guy Toy Factory, which is really cool. I like the way that it opens there as well. It's just, uh, you know, Child's Play 2 goes really hard. So the Child's Play 2 picks up two years. After the events of the first one, uh, Andy is making his way, making the rounds in the foster uh, system. And this is uh, something that's not depicted in a lot of horror movies. The the depiction of the foster system, living with a foster family, the relationships uh, between a foster parent and a foster kid, relationships between fellow uh, foster children as well, uh, with Andy and Kyle having a wonderful uh, uh, dynamic in this movie they have a really great relationship that is um you know progressed and just it works really well so as we get into child's play 2 like i said it picks up two years later and now um chucky is back after the uh, good guy dolls are going back into the production they think they have the pr fiasco of you know Andy claiming that one of the dolls was possessed. It obviously didn't go so well for the company, but we see that this company does not give a shit. They're ready to make more dolls and put uh, the good guy dolls back out there. So that's what's happening. Uh, Chucky goes to, or not Chucky, Andy goes to live with a foster family. Um, of course, one of the other foster kids had a, a good guy doll. So it sends, you know, Andy into some PTSD. He's freaking out. And this gives. Uh, Chucky the opportunity that whenever he manifests himself back into the body uh, into another Chucky doll he swaps it out you know does all that shit and is him trying to put his soul into Andy's body Andy is uh, then on the run because um, his foster parents eventually don't believe him when people around him start dying Um, they think that Andy's crazy 
it's it's tough. Like Andy has a lot of shit. He it's his back against the wall, and it's a lot to handle for a nine year old. Uh, for a foster kid, I believe he is nine. I want to double check that. This movie was really really good. As I want to pick my uh six main my my six main things that I want to talk about. Andy's only eight years old in this. Not even nine. Shit, he's going through it. Fuck, poor Andy. So as we go through my six favorite things that I want to talk about with the film, uh, I want to talk about the opening credits. I love the opening credits. Um, you know, it's kind of an homage to Halloween with like the with the pumpkin, you know, devolving or whatever, and then evolving, you know, depending on which Halloween movie it is. This one, um, you know, we see um, Chucky getting made back into another good guy doll. Um, his blood ended up into getting into the shit and is reforming his body and uh they're restoring it and stuff and it's uh it's really cool we also get to look at the building a little bit more as well um we see in this film the the presentation is a little bit better i noticed that they paid a lot more attention to showing off these primary colors because, you know, primary colors, you associate with kids, with toys, with adolescents. So it has this bright primary colors, you know, aesthetic to it. But, you know, there's a lot of death going on, a lot of heavy themes going on. Um, so I really like that contrast. The opening scene, um, you know, integrates the toy factory more into this film. That's another thing that I really like. Because um, we have the opening, we get the good guy company background. We see some of the people that work for the good guy company. Um you know, with um, with uh, Matson is the character that you know they eventually bring back a Chucky doll, and then because they put it back together by hand, and then it kills the people that put it back together by electrocuting them, and then um, once they figure it out, and then Chucky gets in Matson's car and then gets him to drive and do all the shit, and that's when we are reintroduced to Chucky back into the movie with him being alive and uh it's a great introduction we get a good kill he gets some um good one-liners in there um showing off that we are getting a little bit more of a comedic tone from uh this performance of Chucky but yet the movie still doesn't go super hard in the comedy it won't go hard into comedy until Bride of Chucky comes around like I said I like that we get some people from the good guy company uh, the Toy Factory is incorporated more, and uh, the Toy Factory being incorporated into the finale, we get the final girl circuit with uh, Kyle and Andy in this uh, wonderful finale. They're running around, there's boxes everywhere, so he's surrounded by all these good guy dolls, the dangerous machines that put them together, um, you know, because all the exit doors happen to be behind all these ma- dangerous machines. Why do they make factories like that? Why would you put the exit behind the the dangerous i don't know that's never made sense to me uh but it's a uh, it's really fun the way that they integrate the toy factory into such a fun finale um you know it's a good like 15 20 minutes we you know again see how indestructible chucky is as he's um you know destroyed with the melted plastic and then he's you know put into the machine that sticks parts on him and cuts his legs off um we get it's it's really good the way that the uh the finale and the toy factory um i think that's a lot of people's favorite part about this film 
But going back into going back to Andy, one of the major strengths of this film is, like I said, it's the the depiction of, um, you know, uh, someone dealing with trauma with PTSD and with Andy going through this foster system. You know, his mother is in psychiatric care, so that's that's a bold choice of this movie to immediately take the main character's mother away, so he like has no parents. That's very. Um, you know, because it was already interesting in the first one that he only had one parent. Now he's, you know, basically has none. He's dealing with the aftermath of the first. Um, and it's like, it's so crazy that, you know, he's, you know, obviously he is dealing with trauma. But then it's like, how do these people not believe Andy when he is so specific in saying that the doll is possessed by Charles Lee Ray. What kind of kid would is going to get so specific and make all that stuff up? Like what he was watching the news and that's where he got Charles Lee Ray's name. Like where did that come from? I don't know. But yeah, it was it was so specific. And like, you know, the depiction of Andy dealing with this trauma. Like I said, Alex Vincent, he's young, but he's acting a little bit in this. Like there's a scene where um, it's the scene where he goes to the foster parents uh, home, and he's at the foster parents' home, and the good guy doll falls out of the closet. His face, like, when he gets the PTSD, I mean, it is kind of funny, but also, like, Alex Vincent is really selling it, like, oh my, like, I want to know what they told him, you know, for some of these scenes when they're trying to get a kid actor to, like, you know, uh, act in these situations. I don't know. I think Alex Vincent, he, he should get some credit here. Like, this little boy, he's make, he, he makes choices in this movie. Like, he makes straight acting choices. Some of his delivery, um, you know, whenever he sasses people and the way that he responds to people because he's maturing so much, um, you know, for an eight-year-old. And Andy represents, you know, a lot of kids that go through a horrific situation or a traumatic event and them dealing with that and dealing with it on their own, having to grow up a lot faster than they should. And I think that this movie really shows that with Alex Vincent's portrayal of this eight-year-old kid that is, you know, already more mature and has already seen more things that any eight-year-old should see. And I think I think that's really cool. A lot of horror films don't dive into this with those with their protagonists. So it's something that I give uh, Child's Play 2 a lot of credit for. But not only do we advance Andy's character arc and progression, so do we get with Chucky. But not like he doesn't have a character arc. But like I said, um, this film, it it really is um, Chucky's movie in this one. Or at least it's shared a little bit more evenly with uh, with Andy, because, I mean, we really get to see a lot more personality from Chucky. He's making more joy, uh, making more, making more jokes. I was about to say making more joints because I'm holding the joint in my hand. And I was thinking about lighting it, <laughs> um, stoner brain, but he's making more jokes. This is like the first time we really, uh, get the famous Chucky laugh, um, I can't remember. I tried to listen out for it and I can't remember if we do hear it in the first movie, but I don't think we do. Or if we do, it's like, you know, it's just like kind of offhand. But in this one, this is where like we really get to hear the iconic Chucky laugh that Brad Dorif does. Um, Brad Dorif, man, 
this man, his voice uh, is such a wonderful performance. Like, and I love that so many horror icons that when they play these characters, that they play them for all the movies, they stick with it. Um, you know, Robert England was always Freddy, um, for most of the movie or for all the movies up until the remake. Um, Doug Bradley did most of the, or he did all the Hellraiser films except for like the last two, I believe is, uh, without him. Um, but like Jason switches actors all the time because it doesn't matter. Same with Halloween. Michael Myers is portrayed by multiple actors, but I love that horror icons when they become known for that iconic role that they love to stick with it and uh, do it. Brad Dorf has had a very interesting career as he, you know, goes on to be in the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, he was an Oscar nominee for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And then I hadn't seen The Exorcist 3. And um, I saw The Exorcist 3 a few weeks ago when they were doing it on The Last Drive-In for sh- on Shudder. And man, Brad Dorf's performance in it is so fucking good. Like, I would fucking watch that dude read a grocery list. Like, I mean, because in The Exorcist 3, he has these monologues where he's really let, like, they let him just fucking get to do his thing a little bit. So, 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 so good. Brad Dorif. Um, this is when he really makes the Chucky role his own in this movie with the laugh, with the one-liners. Um, it's, it's really good. Like, there's a... They, they do some really cool scenes with Chucky. You know, they, they do really good animatronics and puppetry in this film as well. And there's a part when Chucky is posing as the good guy doll that was in the foster family. Let me backtrack a little bit. There's a funny scene when Chucky um, is burying this good guy doll, like he to replace it, you know, to take its spot. And I mean, I just think it's funny because like he didn't have to bury the doll. He could have like destroyed it or just like put it in the trash can, you know, sent it away any other way. But I love that. I mean, obviously he buries it because it's going to have to be found later in order for Kyle to realize that Chucky is an actual real doll. But ignoring that fact, the only reason that Chucky wants to bury that good guy doll is for his own amusement that he's, like, burying himself. Like, he's doing it, and he's laughing, and he says, eat dirt, Tommy. And I think it's just really funny how he has that scene just to, like, really get a kick out of it. And, like, that's what I'm talking about, that we get to see Chucky's personality now and, like, what his sense of humor is like, that he laughs at himself and he thinks he, he thinks very highly of himself and he makes himself laugh. So I absolutely love that. And then so later on, there's a scene where um, the, the foster parents are confronting uh, Andy about him saying that the doll is alive. And um, whenever it presses the thing and Chucky, you know, he he's acting like the doll and he has to say the lines of the doll. But all the good guy dolls have different names. So this one, it was funny because he had to remember what the doll was for the foster family. It was Tommy. And for a split second, he forgets. And as the doll, he like, he, he like falters for just a split second, forgetting what the name was and like, and hesitates, but like just enough to where it's not noticeable by the family. And it's, but we notice, I thought that was really fucking cool. 
um again just like we're showing that chucky is a he's a character now he's not just some possessed doll like he's he's a character he forgets things he makes he almost makes mistakes it's interesting i love it and then my last thing that i love about this movie is um our supporting character protagonist kyle i post an interesting question to twitter on if Kyle counts as a final girl because she's not our protagonist but she does all the things that a final girl would do she fulfills a lot of the things that babysitters usually do in horror films you know being the the protector companion um to the protagonist because the kid is too young to do it themselves we do know that one Andy is our main protagonist and he can uh, hold his own and protect himself to a degree because he is still a kid. And then he develops this relationship with um, with Kyle that is very smooth and progressive. And it's different than just a, like a typical babysitter and their kid that they watch. Because they both have this understanding of each other. And Kyle is the one that explains to Andy that you know he has to grow up a little bit faster than he should because the real world sucks sometimes and she's the one that teaches him that so so Kyle serves more of a purpose than just the typical um like I said babysitter companion type but but is she a final girl does she count I took it I took the question on Twitter and a lot of people said yes. Yes she is. She's um a, a different she's like a, a subcategory of final girls. And we got into a really great discussion um with uh people like Megan Navarro. She had a really great response um comparing her to um Rachel in Halloween four, which I thought was a, a really interesting comparison to like I said it's the the protect it's a companion a final companion if you will in addition with our in addition with our main protagonist Andy still being our final boy as well um uh, they they complete the final girl circuit together so as far as I'm concerned they're co-final people in my opinion yeah child's play too I really 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 like this one um, I hadn't seen, I'd only seen it like maybe once and it was a long time ago and it whole, it's, um, I mean, I know a lot of other people say that this is their favorite as well and I can totally see why. Um, it is definitely up there. The first one is just so iconic, you know, with its imagery and the originality that it brought and it's more straightforward horror tone. But then this one, it's still pretty straight forward horror but we do get a little bit more comedy out of Chucky but again he's like still not he's not to where he is in the seat of Chucky where he kind of goes full comedian on us but so Child's Play 2 it's it's that sweet spot it improves and does everything a little bit better and gorier and it's just it's more entertaining overall um it's it it starts a little bit sooner um, you know, it has some really great scenes between Andy and Chucky again, like just like really cementing this like, you know, back and forth that they have that these characters are going to continue to have and how that's going to affect Andy as a person, as a teenager in the next film. And then when we find Andy as an adult later on in a cult of Chucky. So it's it, it lays a lot of groundwork. And it has a lot of very serious themes. And 
it, it's a lot better than than I remembered. So, with that being said, though, to finish out this episode, and don't worry, this is going to be a lot shorter um, than talking about the previous two movies, because Child's Play 3, there's not a lot to talk about here. Um, I hadn't seen, or no, I don't know. I think it was kind of the same case with Child's Play 2, but even uh, I've seen less of Child's Play 3. I'd maybe seen like half of Child's Play 3 as a kid at some point because I remember certain scenes but for the most part this was almost a first time watch man this thing is boring as fuck um it's really boring it jumps ahead eight years we have Andy going into military school because again he's had issues growing up going from foster family to foster family because of all the trauma that Chucky has caused him in his childhood but it's like man eight years is such a big leap and then that means we have to switch actors um in which Andy is now played by Justin Whalen. And he's just, you know, he just doesn't bring the same gravitas that a child Alex Vincent brought to the role. He just didn't, he didn't, he, he wasn't, I mean, he's fine. I mean, he, he's a convincing enough Andy, but it just would have been nice to have um, Alex Vincent, you know, the character that is already, we've made that connection as with him as Andy, but Child's Play 3 literally came out like nine months after Child's Play 2. So everything happened so fast. Obviously Alex Vincent was still an eight year old at this point. And, um, and the fact that this movie came out so fast really shows in this movie because it's boring. It's really repetitive. Um, it doesn't really bring anything new to the table. It's kind of the same formula, except now Andy is a teenager in a military school, and now there's a uh, another little kid named Tyler, who is uh, another private at the military school, who is now Chucky's target, even though he sent himself there, because he sent himself there to Andy, but then the kid opened it, but then here's where the ritual shit gets starts getting sticky, because he says now he can change transfer to Tyler's body because he reveals himself to Tyler first and it just doesn't make sense then why was he send himself there to Andy in the first place I don't know but yeah so it's the same shit he he he's possessed he wants to play hide the soul with but except he wants to play it with Tyler this time and um you know there's just military school shit going on uh and it's not a bad movie it was just really boring. Like it just like it, it once we got to the third act, okay, it 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 was actually the third act is pretty solid. I'll give it that much credit. But it's not a bad movie. It's just like I don't know. We we're just there at the military school, but it doesn't add much to Andy's character. Like I mean, he gets a love interest in this one, which I do uh like. That is um, one of the advantages of this movie. We have Perry Reeves as um, as his love interest. Uh, what's her? De Silva. And <laughs> I'll say while I was watching this, um, because this was almost first time watch, and noticing in this, Perry Reeves, a little uh, too mature looking to be playing the love interest of a 17-year-old in this movie. She was 21 at the time of filming, so it's not weird of me to say that she was a very good-looking girl, And, but it was just, like, kind of weird then. I was just like, wait, so she's 21, 
and he's 17, which I mean, now I get like, you know, cause it's, you know, it's weird the other way around, which happens more often. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but, um, I'm just saying, uh, Perry Reeves, uh, was great, but maybe a little bit too, too mature to, to play, uh, De Silva. But anyways, they had a great relationship. She's one of the better characters in the film. I like her dynamic with Andy, you know, she's the badass and all that jazz. Another fun performance. Um, we have, um, uh, a Sergeant Botnick, Sergeant Botnick played by Andrew Robinson from Hellraiser of Hellraiser fame. And um, he is Sergeant Botnick, the crazed barber of the military school. I don't know why that's a significant supporting character, but just because Andrew Robinson is having the time of his life, it's a, it works. <laughs> um, and his, his, I like uh, Chucky turns his catchphrase around on him when he kills him. Because uh, when he cuts their hair and gives them, he's not even good at it either. That's the funny thing. He's like getting like sexually aroused by the fact that he's giving these kids, you know, haircuts, but they're not even good haircuts. They're kind of shitty. So it's like he doesn't get off on cutting hair. He gets off on making kids bald. I don't know. And he doesn't even make them bald. <laughs> and he like, and he has a spiel while he's doing it. It's just such a very specific supporting character. But it works. And then when Chucky kills him, because when he cuts the kid's hair, he says, presto, you're bald. And then whenever fucking Chucky kills him, slash him, he says, presto, you're dead. That's a that's that's a top tier Chucky one liner. It's up there with the with the best. But yeah, so I mean, we had Sergeant Botnik. He's fun. Um, What else did I like about this movie? Like I said, I like some of the good lines. Uh, don't fuck with the Chuck, even though it was said in such an odd context at the very, like, it felt very forced. Like somebody wrote, like Don Mancini, I mean, Don Mancini obviously wrote it, but I feel like, um, the director told Don Mancini to write it in because he just really wanted to film a scene. Like, yeah, don't fuck with the Chuck. This is going to be a good one. This could be iconic and Chucky's next iconic phrase. And I mean, it's a good one. Just the scene was kind of awkward. So, I don't know, like, you know, Tyler and Chucky, they just weren't as engaging together because, you know, Andy and Chucky already have the history. So, it, it just, it, it I don't know, the movie just felt a little disconnected, I don't know, from the, from what we had already built in doing this large age cap, I think they should just kept going at the pace they were going at, like, or, or wait for like a 12 year old Andy I think that would have been made a little bit more interesting, see him struggling a little bit more with the trauma. And then because like the military school like didn't add much to the film, except the last thing that I will give this movie, I am a demented person <laughs> when it comes to watching these horror movies. I love a movie's commitment to killing a kid. And man, the way that they do it in this one, they kill two kids, these kids, I mean, they're teenagers in the military school, but so Chucky, they're about to do like a war games like type thing and they have paintball guns. Chucky switches out the rounds for live rounds and he gets a kid, a teenager to kill another kid. That is fucked up. 
Like, that is some evil shit on Chucky's behalf, and I don't think he gets enough credit for how evil he is. Like, because everybody's like, oh, Chucky's fucking hilarious, and um, all that. Chucky is evil. He got kid, a kid to shoot another kid. Like, that kid, he has PTSD now because he just accidentally killed somebody. And then, Andy's annoying-ass roommate finally does something useful after Chucky throws a grenade towards uh, De Silva and Andy. Nobody sees the grenade, and this kid, the nerd kid, hops on it. He gets killed by a grenade. So, I always give a movie its props if it has um, the balls to kill some kids. I don't know why. It makes me... I'm just like fucking fuck those kids you know (laughs) but that's about the last thing that um child's play three really has to offer uh it was just yeah it's just kind of whatever um it was directed by jack bender uh child's play two was directed by john lafia what uh what else has john lafia directed not very many things. Uh, Repo, no, he didn't direct that one. Man's Best Friend? He, he went on to direct a lot of TV, but it's interesting that he directed one of the better features and he didn't really go on to do anything. The original, of course, directed by uh, the legendary director Tom Holland, who is known for directing um, Fright Night and The Langoliers, and uh, he wrote uh, Psycho 2. So, um, but yeah, so the three films, all very interesting. Um, the tone is very consistent for the most part across, um, except the fact that Chucky does get a little bit funnier in the second and third films. Um, but it's, it's straightforward horror slasher, you know, but it's deep shit, you know, cause this is, it's heavy things, um, when you think about what a child is going through when dealing with with these kind of situations because you know when we watch a horror film and we and we sympathize with the protagonist and they're adults and you automatically sympathize with a kid in a horror movie because they're a kid but it's more than that though because it's you know because now they're not kids anymore and I've always found that interesting in horror films like you know the idea of situations forcing kids to grow up um, faster than they should, you know, being a kid, you should be enjoying your childhood, um, you know, just making memories and things like that, you shouldn't have to be dealing with the trauma of a child, of a, of a, a serial killer possessed doll, you know, like, that's not the shit that you should be dealing with, you should be dealing with how to get the sand out of your ass, you know, before you go inside when recess is over, that's what you should be dealing with, not this shit. <laughs> so, um, there's, there's bigger themes than, uh, people give child's play credit for, I think. And then there's more themes later, you know, cause each era seems to deal with, uh, different themes, but using Chucky. And we will get into that with volume two coming up. We are talking Bride and Seed of Chucky. Um, we have some special guests coming on for that. So um, be on the lookout because um, that episode is coming out later on this week. It's not going to come out next Tuesday because we're trying to squeeze all of 
the Chucky movies in before the end of June for Pride Month. Um, so very excited to talk to continue talking about the franchise, and then eventually I'm gonna do a YouTube video where I rank the franchise as well after uh, talking about all of them on the podcast. But um, I don't think we I don't think this episode is too long. We shall see. But um, there's a lot to talk about with this franchise. Um, why I love this franchise so much, but I'm very excited um, to continue on this journey. So make sure you are subscribed on iTunes or Spotify to the Bloody Blunts Cinema Club. Make sure you are subscribed. Leave a five-star review on iTunes so that way we can get on the charts. That would be fantastic. Make sure you follow me on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Bloody Blunts with three O's. And uh, make sure you subscribe on YouTube if you want to watch the video versions of this. But um, we are just going to continue on with the Chucky franchise. Super excited. Make sure you're subscribed. See you on Friday and next Tuesday. Until then, guys, stay lifted.